morning, everybody. It's good to be back. I've missed you guys. I've missed you. Um, listen, before I jump onto uh, today's talk, I just want to say, uh, you know, being out for several weeks, uh, you know, had a little something going on at home, and uh, we just want to say thank you. Uh, the amount of messages and meals and like Grubhub gift cards that you guys sent away, we, we felt cared for and loved, even though we're a little bit uh, far geographically. So man, I are so grateful that to be a part of this community. I just want to say thank you. Uh, for those of you who haven't met her yet, this is Julia Elizabeth Pasmino. Um, I thought for a second of doing the whole thing of like lifting her up like Simba and be like, you know, <laughs> don't go into a dark lens over there. But anyway, I figured this would be a little bit uh, less disruptive than that. Uh, okay, with that, let's, let's jump into today's uh, message. Can you believe we are just two weeks away from Christmas. Uh, we're pra- we're kind of like doing a run-through before the service, and I said this, and our worship pastor, Gary, heard that. He's like, what? But with that, like, sound of, like, grinchy disappointment of somebody who doesn't like Christmas. But anyway, some of you are feeling like this right now. <laughs> you are excited. You can't wait for Christmas to come here. You're like, Santa, Santa, I know him. Like, you're all in it, right? Some of you the second that Christmas music started playing on the radio felt like this. That's probably your worship pastor, Gary, right there, okay? And one way or another, these next two weeks, we're all in this time of waiting, right? Some of us are waiting for Christmas to finally come and celebrate and presents and whatnot. Some of us are just waiting for the holidays to be over to get back to, you know, our, our, our lives and what was before that. Uh, at our house, we're big fans of this uh, series of children's books called Elephant and Piggy. Uh, and they're, they're phenomenal. Anyway, uh, one of our favorite books is called Waiting is Not Easy. And let's be honest, um, that, that, that's Gerald, the, the character. Gerald's right. Waiting is usually the hardest part, isn't it? You know, uh, so some of you uh, have kids and your kids cannot wait for Christmas. Maybe it's because of the present. Maybe it's because they get to say, see family members that they haven't seen in a while. Uh, and, and there's all this, this profound excitement uh, for that. But there's also another kind of waiting that's not easy, that's hard as well. And that's a waiting that happens when there's something that we're longing for, something that we're waiting for. Uh, perhaps something that we really need to see happen in our lives that hasn't happened yet. Maybe it's the answer to a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer for healing or for the restoration of a relationship or maybe in a miracle of some sort that you really need to see happen in your life or in your family. I, I, I would argue that, that waiting is actually particularly difficult when, when it's something that hasn't happened yet. It's particularly difficult when you believe in God. Which sounds kind of like counterintuitive, but the thing about belief in God is that implied in that belief in God is the idea that there's this being that you can pray to that listens to prayers and hopefully answers prayers, right? And then the question then is, what do you do when you're asking, when you're praying, when you're longing for something, and that thing doesn't come to pass in the time in which you were expecting or hoping for it to come to pass? We're in the middle of this series on the topic of hope. 
And, and last, last week we looked at these prophecies from the book of Isaiah, right, about how one day God was going to send this child, this wonderful counselor, this prince of peace. And that was kind of like the, 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 the longings of the hopes of Israel was for this Messiah to be born. And we looked how this, you know, promised child turns out to be Jesus and, and how that's for us proof that God keeps his promises. And this is the thing. It's easy for us to make that connection because we're on the other side of the birth of Jesus. You read the prophecy in Isaiah, and then you just flip over a few pages, and you're in the Gospels, and you see the prophecy come to pass, and it's exciting. But do you know that from the time of the prophecies in Isaiah to the birth of Jesus, there's 700 years you might always like to wait for something for 700 years. I have a friend of mine who is a Detroit Lions fan. And that fan base has been waiting for 31 years for a second playoff win. And I was actually texting my friend. He's like, yes, I was about to turn four, and we destroyed the Cowboys. Like, he still remembers, and he longs for it to happen again. And I'm telling my friend, dude, that's nothing. <laughs> Can you imagine waiting for something for 700 years? Years. Actually, if you're one of our neighborhood groups, this is uh, one of the questions that we asked you to discuss this past week. Why do you think God gave the people of Israel a prophecy about the Messiah hundreds of years before that prophecy actually came to pass? Why, why did God do that, right? Why give people a prophecy that none of them, neither their children... <laughs> nor their children's children would be around to see come to fruition. How in the world do you wait for a promise like that? Or to make that applicable to us today, how do we maintain hope when the thing that we're hoping for has not come to pass? Which, by the way, is something that not only the people of Israel have been wrestling with, but I would argue that Christians throughout history have been wrestling with, right? Because, you know, the thing about the prophecies of the Messiah is that wrapped in those prophecies is not only that, you know, one day Jesus was going to come and he was going to die on a cross and he was going to resurrect and he was going to, you know, provide a way for forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But you start reading the, promise, the, the prophecies in the Bible and they're talking about a future kingdom of God where there will be no more death where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more suffering, where there will be no more disease, no more divorce, no more debilitating illnesses, no more anxiety, no more depression. And if we're honest for a second, that's not the world that we live in, right? Like we, we live in this place where like parts of God's promises have come to pass, but not all of them. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were doing this series on the Holy Spirit called It. And uh, you remember, we looked at the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And in the first chapter of the book of Acts, there's this scene, this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. I kind of like talk about this issue. It's Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It says, uh, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom the disciples of Jesus have been following him for three years 
And they know all the prophecies about the Messiah, right? This is this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this prince of peace, who was also supposed to be this political leader who was going to restore the freedom to Israel. He was going to establish his rule. And they're like, okay, we're following you, and, and the miracles are cool, and, and you died, and you resurrected, and that's awesome. So when are we running for office, right? Like, like that was the, the, the desire with them because for them that was part of the promise. And if you keep reading, Jesus kind of like chastises them a little bit. And he's like, dude, that's none of your concern. And he says like, what you have to go is go and make disciples. This, I would argue, is actually one of the biggest tensions in the Bible. That on one hand, there's all these promises that God makes about the future, and on the other hand, we see part of those promises happen and then part of those promises not happen yet. If you think about Jesus, you know, Jesus comes and fulfills some of the promises. He's born in Bethlehem. He's born to a virgin. Uh, he, you know, he lives uh, in the area where he's supposed to live. He starts performing all these miracles. And, you know, yet by the time of Jesus' ascension, the people of Israel are still living under Roman oppression. For most of them, their daily lives haven't changed. They're still waking up, and they're still Roman soldiers, and they're still paying taxes, and life is still hard and difficult. It wouldn't be until, like, you know, thousands of years later that the people of Israel will be actually able to come back to their land. And, you know, we know from current events that even now that's a fraught situation. Waiting is not easy because in a way what happens here is that God has kept his promise and the prophecy has been fulfilled and in a way we're still waiting to see the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises we're in this in-between space some theologians call this the already not yet dynamic of the kingdom of God that some of God's promises have been fulfilled but not all of them, at least not yet. And I would argue that this is not only true of, you know, cosmic redemptive history. But as followers of Jesus, we experience this tension. We have embraced his faith. We have become followers of Jesus. And we live under his teachings under the premise that God holds the ultimate power and authority in the universe, that he is our father, that he loves us. And as Martin Luther King Jr. would say, that the arc of the universe bends towards justice. And to a certain degree, we understand that the world isn't perfect and, you know, there are injustices here. But if I'm talking just for myself right now, at my darkest moments, I see the world and I see the pain and I see the suffering and I see the brokenness uh, in relationships with people, and also kind of like in a global geopolitical scale. And I really wonder to myself, is this it? The world is still really hard and difficult, except that now I read my Bible and I go to church. But nothing has changed. Maybe it's more personal to you. Maybe you look at the Bible and you look at these promises of a God who heals and restores and saves and, and gives you freedom. And, and, you know, you believe in this God that, that, that says that by, by his stripes we're healed. Like all these incredible promises. And yet you go to bed night after night wondering, when will I be free of this addiction? When will my relationships be restored? When will I stop suffering from this? Crippling anxiety and depression. 
When will I not feel lonely anymore? We look at the Bible and we see his promises and we look at our life and, and, and it's this tension. How can we exist in this tension? It almost feels that for us, the promises of Christianity are incomplete. That to a certain degree, we're all in this in-between. And the Bible doesn't fully give us an answer to this. However, the Bible does give us a promise. If you keep reading in the, in, in, in the book of Acts, you get to verse 11. And, you know, Jesus is ascending into heaven and he's kind of like taken up in the clouds. And the apostles kind of like just looking at the sky like they've never seen this happen before. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that two angels show up. And it's not like this spectacular, like the angels come down. It's just really like two guys just sitting or waiting around looking at them. It's like, hey, guys. And, and, and this is what they say. Men of Galilee. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. The, first, the very first followers of Jesus since the very beginning of this whole Christianity thing are aware of this tension that Jesus has been born, that Jesus has lived and died and resurrected and ascended into heaven and everything has changed. And everything is different. And yet, there are also things that are still the same. And while the Bible doesn't give us this answer, hey, this is right. Your prayers are not answered right now. And this is how long it was going to take for your prayers to be answered. Is God give us this other promise. That things are not going to be like this forever. One day in the future, Jesus is going to return. The king is going to return. And he's finally going to put everything to right. And the challenge for us is living in this in-between of sometimes having prayers and not getting them answered right away. And some of those prayers we get answered, it might take weeks, it might take months, it might take years. If we're honest, some of those prayers never get answered. And yet, we believe that this ultimate promise is also true, that one day, God is finally going to fulfill ultimately all of his promises. And the challenge for us is this. How do we live in that in-between? How do we live in that in-between without losing hope? If you grew up in a more liturgical Christian tradition, you would know that you know, the weeks leading up to Christmas are considered the season of Advent. And all that means is waiting. And you know, like what the church throughout history has done is that we dedicate this time to going over some of the, you know, messianic promises about Jesus, but also some of the promises and prophecies about the ultimate return of God as a double exercise. It's an exercise in waiting for the birth of Jesus, waiting for Christmas, preparing our heart for Christmas. And at the same side, it's an exercise in waiting for the second coming of Jesus, for the ultimate return, where the ultimate promises of God take place. It's kind of like how Advent, uh, what Advent does. Advent helps us live in the in-between. And I'm bringing this up today because I think there's an important lesson for us to learn here, that one of the most fundamental mental and uh, emotional and spiritual skills that we need in order for our lives to embrace a perspective of hope towards the future 
is a capacity to wait well. Particularly when the things that we're waiting for do not come to pass in the time in which you would like to see them come to pass. Waiting is not easy. And yet it's imperative that we learn how to wait well. Because if we don't, we're going to give in to despair. So what I want to do this morning, with, with the, the time I have left, is I want to take you to a passage in uh, the Gospels that I think uh, can illustrate for us the, these choices or these changes in perspective that I think we need to make in order to wait well. So I'm going to go to the, the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I'm also reading on verse 5. And this is a story about uh, the, the angel Gabriel... Uh, announcing the birth, not of Jesus, but of John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin, who's going to be kind of like the, the, the guy that's going to precede Jesus' ministry. Verse 5, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. A few of the Gospels actually start talking about John the Baptist. And the reason why is because some of the early Messianic prophecies was that there was going to be this messenger that was going to prepare the way of Jesus. And the angel actually in this passage makes that point on verse 17. He says, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Now, notice this. The text tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth loved the Lord, which means what they're trying to say is that they live righteous lives. They were trying to obey God and, 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 and keep his commands. And yet, it also says that they didn't have any children and were of old age. Now, in that time, children were seen as a sign of God's blessing or God's favor, right? At that time, the way that your family name made it through history, that you had the help that you need to work in whatever profession you had was because of children. Having children was seen as a sign of favor from God, which means not having children was seen as a sign of disfavor before God. So I can only imagine how Zechariah and Elizabeth must have felt, right? <laughs> Trying to live this life of being faithful to God and loving him and yet carrying with them this longing for a child. I wonder how many nights they went to bed, tears in their eyes, just asking God, why? Or for how long? <laughs> and yet the angel says something to Zechariah that I find very interesting. He says, God has heard your prayer. Meaning that probably until that day, 
whatever age they were, we were not older age, Zechariah and Elizabeth have continued praying and asking for a child. They have not given up. And that's the first choice that we need to make if we're going to wait well. We must choose hope over despair. Uh, I don't know if any of you have any experience um, <clears throat> with infertility. Well, I know a few people that have, and we have a couple that we knew from uh, one of the churches we were a part of a few years ago, and they, they were very public about their infertility journey, and I remember they kind of like were documenting it on social media, and uh, watching those posts was always this roller coaster of emotions, because they were saying how, hey, we're starting this new treatment, and pray for us, and we're hoping that this is the time, and then at the end of the month, there will be another post of disappointment, of this hasn't happened yet, and you know, eventually, uh, after a couple of years, they were able to, 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 to conceive a child, and, you know, they're very happy. Uh, and what I always admired about my friends is that they would not give up. They longed so much to have a child that month after month, they would open themselves up to the heartbreak of disappointment. Because of what they hoped for. The hope on the other side of their journey was more powerful than the despair that sometimes we can feel. And yet, there's another choice that we must make. Because here's what happens next in the story. Verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So Zechariah and Elizabeth have been praying for years for this child, right? And then here's an angel of God showing up and telling them, hey, guys, your prayer has been heard. Like, you're going to have this child that you're longing for. You would think that Zechariah's reaction would be like, praise the Lord. Won't he do it? Like, he's like all pumped about this. Except that it's not. All of a sudden, Zechariah is skeptical. He's telling the angel, like, it's like, are you sure about this? And then he's like explaining, you know, biology. He's like, listen, I don't know if you know, but like, me and my wife, we're older now. Doesn't happen as you would think, right? And the angel is like, he gets offended. And I, for me, I think of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the meme from The Office when, when Kelly Kapoor, I, I don't remember what, what the actual episode is, but she's like, okay, number one, how dare you, right? And that's Angel Gabriel. He's like, how dare you, right? Like, I'm giving you this promise. It's like, I stand in the presence of God and you, skeptical guy. And then he said, you know what's going to happen now? You're not going to be able to talk until the baby is born. And listen, I would say that this is fascinating, it's contradictory, and it would be very easy to judge Zechariah, except that I'm exactly like that. Uh, I've shared this story here, but a few years ago when we were starting our church planting journey, um, I had to... Um, 
had to do is residence, kind of like a training program. And kind of the way that worked is that, you know, the church would give you like a stipend, but you had to raise the rest of your salary. And, you know, I'm like weeks away from signing the program, and I'm still like several hundred dollars short of my fundraising goal. And um, I had this memory, the Friday, like the, the, the program started like the next, like, like Tuesday or Wednesday. And that Friday, still hundreds of dollars short, and I'm praying, and I just break down. And I think I had kind of like an anxiety attack, praying to God, just asking God, how is this going to happen? I thought that you wanted us to come here. What's going to happen? And part of it was that we had moved to this new city, and we had not really been able to meet any new people. And I, all of these things kind of like connected, and I'm just like embracing despair. And uh, over that weekend, two things happened. One is, friend of ours from our previous church, they had moved to the area. We didn't know about it. And he sends me a text message. Say, man, we just moved to the area. Can we meet up for a drink? That night we went out for a drink. I'm sharing about the church. And he's like, yeah, me and my wife, we cannot wait to be a part of this. Like the weekend that I'm praying, forgot to send somebody. He out of, no, out of nowhere texts me. That same weekend, uh, we get a, a check in the mail from some friends of ours who knew our situation, but we hadn't really asked them for help. And the check is exactly for the amount of money that we were short. Now, you would think that I would be like, praise the Lord, won't he do it? The whole thing, right? Except that Monday, I have this memory very clear. I'm, I'm, my, my time of prayer in the morning, I'm praying to God, and I'm freaking out. And the reason why I'm freaking out is because I'm thinking to myself, man, like, okay, this is great, and it's provision, it's provision for this month. There's still like eight more months left. Where's the money going to come from, right? And in the middle of my prayer, my friend calls me, right? And I'm like, I'm not proud to say this. I want, to, I want you to think, hey, when I'm praying, I'm like meditating. I'm like floating and the angels are there. And if you call me, I'm not going to answer. But if you send me a check for several hundred dollars, I'm kind of likely to take your call. So I'm like, Lord. Wait a minute, okay, I have this call. So I start my prayer time, take out the phone, and it's my friend asking, hey, you just wanted to make sure you got the check. And, she, and, and then she's like, um, by the way, we just want to make sure, is this the address that we need to send it every month? And, like, I start breaking down. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. You, know, you don't know how much it's an answer to prayer. And, and my friend remembers saying this, for as long as you preach the gospel, we're going to support you. Get off the, uh, the phone with my friend. I go back to praying. And as I'm praying, I said, Lord, thank you for, for waiting. Like, let's continue our conversation. And as I'm praying, I, I felt like God was saying to me, you know what your problem is, Joel? I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I'm about to find out, right? And I feel like God was saying to me, your problem is that you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're always waiting. Your default position is waiting for something to go wrong. That's why you can't have faith because you're always expecting for something to go wrong. Ironically, I was reading this passage when I was doing this prayer. And part of the passage, I'm going to get to this in a second, there's this, this, this song where like Zechariah is kind of like saying, you know, uh, that in the kindness of God, he says like, you know, the, the, the dawn from a high will break upon us. It's like this position of hope. And I felt like God was saying, you don't have a predisposition to hope. You have a predisposition for things to go wrong. And, and what's going on there is what? That I was choosing skepticism over faith. And if we're going to learn to wait well, we have to choose faith over skepticism. 
How many times that's our response? Skepticism over faith. Even when we have seen God move. Even when God has answered prayers. Sometimes, you know, we took the step that God told us to take. And we made the difficult decision. And we took the step of faith. And we knew that God was with us until the moment where we hit resistance. Until the moment where we hit difficulty. Until the moment that something didn't go exactly as we planned. And our first instinct is, I knew it. You know, like God was going to do this. He's going to let me down. And God doesn't care. And whatever, like our natural disposition is to be skeptical about God. It's easy to have hope when nothing has happened yet. And everything is a blank canvas. But when the rubber hits the road, when life starts happening, having hope becomes difficult. Why? Because we are afraid of being disappointed. And we're afraid of being let down. And we're afraid of getting our hearts broken. And what happens is that the moment that we hit adversity, fear kicks in. And it makes us doubtful and it makes us skeptical. Zechariah wants proof. Zechariah wants God to show him, to, to, to move, to do something. He wants proof from God. And what the angel Gabriel is trying to make Zechariah understand is that the promise is the proof. You know, one of those, like, you see sometimes, like, those, like, all, like, uh, Western movies, and it's, like, the guy that he's, like, a, a man always keeps his promise, like, my word is my bond or whatever, right? That's God. He's, like, my word has a pretty solid credit rating. Should take it for what it's worth. I shouldn't need a guarantor. But we ask God for guarantors. That's what Zechariah is saying. Zechariah hears the promise from God. He says, like, okay, so how do I know it's going to happen? Zechariah wants proof. This is what Zechariah wants to do. Zechariah wants to keep the having faith part. Zechariah wants to, he has hope, and then he wants to go jump over to, like, be absolutely sure. And the problem is that in the kingdom of God, everything kind of sort of runs on faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, faith, listen to this, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is what makes hope come to pass. Not because of our effort, not because we're so spiritual, but because that's how God works. The evidence for faith is God's promise. The question that faith asks is not how. Or in how long? Or how much is going to cost? The question that faith asks is, is this God speaking? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you can bet your bottom dollar that God is going to come through. So in order to wait well, we must not only choose hope over despair, we must choose faith over skepticism. Now this is a question. How do we choose faith daily? How we develop the spiritual muscles of hope and faith instead of the spiritual muscle of the muscles of despair and skepticism. And, and here there's a third choice that we have to make that fits these other two choices. Let me show you. What happens in the rest of the passage is that Zechariah, as the angel says, he can talk, goes home, and the the words of the angel come to pass. Uh, and Elizabeth, his wife, she has a baby. And after this baby is born. Only then is Zechariah able to speak again. The first thing that Zechariah says is the name of the boy. His name is going to be John because that's what the angel told him. And then Zechariah breaks into song. And if you read like the, the first few chapters of the Gospels, there's a lot of that going on. It's a little bit of like, you know, West Side Story. Like people are just like randomly singing. 
So Zechariah starts singing, right? And it's kind of like this prophecy thing going on. I just want to read you a couple of verses. Verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. And that's just the beginning. He goes on for like nine more verses. But Zechariah's song is not just praise of thanksgiving for John being born. Actually, he doesn't get to that part until halfway through the song. The beginning of the song is a prophetic declaration about the Messiah. There's this dynamic in the song of both looking back to what God has done and praising him for it. But also looking towards the future at what God will do. Because this is the thing. You can have hope and you can have faith and you can see God move and answer your prayers. But life is still hard, isn't it? And heartbreak still happens and disappointment still happens. And that will wear on you. And it will demoralize you. I actually think that this is one of the biggest challenges that we face when waiting. That, you know, I actually don't think that most of us, it's just that we lack faith and we're just like bad Christians and that's what it's hard for us to have faith. I think that a lot of us, we're just really worn out, you know. We've experienced so much disappointment and heartbreak and pain. And suffering. And part of the problem is that life keeps going, right? So we, we, we win one battle and we experience a victory from God. And then the next morning we wake up and there's another battle. <laughs> and another challenge that we have to face. And it just keeps coming on and on. And at some point you're just like, I thought it would get easier. Uh, Dora Julia, people are saying, hey, how's she doing? Is she a good sleeper? What's the deal? And she's awesome. We love her. Super chill. I think chiller than, than, than Jack. Um, and the first couple weeks, you know, the, the typical, like, lack of sleep thing, right? And then we got to a point that it was, like, doing great. Like, she was, like, you know, you, you give her a bottle or, or uh, like, you know, mid, around midnight, and then she would sleep until, like, 5 a.m. And then the last two weeks, I think she's going through, like, some sort of growth spur, and that's changed. And some nights she wants to eat, like, every two, three hours. And I'll be the first one to say my wife is a saint. And she takes a lot of those, especially now that I'm back at work. They want to take any undue praise. Or though. And, and the other night, I was up several times, just saying. Anyway, my point is this, right? I thought, oh, this is going to get easier. <laughs> and then it's kind of like taking a step back. That's life. That's all of life, right? And at some point, we feel like, man, I thought it was going to stop. And I'm not sure if I have enough faith to keep, go- to keep going. Um, a few years ago, I remember... Uh, Reading the author Beth Moore, she was posting something on Twitter, and she was talking about being with her granddaughter in the car. And she says this. She says, in the car with Annabeth, nine, I think that's her granddaughter. She says, singing Never Alone at the top of her lungs with Tori Kelly and Kirk Franklin. And she says this. I thought how I dreamed for my grandkids to be true worshipers of God. We thought dreams come true would make dreamy lives. They don't but they make for huge gratitude. Life's so much harder than we all thought it would be that often, by the time something we hope for comes to pass, 
were too demoralized by everything else to enjoy it. And then she asked this question. Has God been good to you? Has he done anything at all you hope for? Then get up off of your seat and dance. Ain't that the truth? That for some of us, for most of us maybe, life is so much harder than we all thought it would be. And what's best advice? Get up off your seat and dance. We must choose praise over cynicism. When the daily grind of life, where the daily difficulties of life keep hitting us and hitting us, it's so easy to become cynical. And if you become cynical, it will become harder to have faith. And if you lack faith, you will not be able to have hope. It's a vicious cycle. And the scriptures present us with a virtuous cycle. That as we choose to praise in the middle of difficulty in the middle of the hardness of life as we praise our faith rises up like the Holy Spirit starts building up our faith inside of us and as we have faith in what God has done we start believing that maybe he can still do things for us and we can look towards the future with hope listen I'm not going to stand here and tell you hey that thing that you're hoping for the thing that you go to bed at night and you cry yourself to sleep for a year from now is going to happen. I can do that. Chances are in a room this size, some of us will have prayers that might go and answer for the rest of our lives. Chances are that some of us in this room have prayers that the answer is already on the way and we don't even know it. But what I know is what the scripture offers for both of those groups is hope. Hope that ultimately all of us who have placed our faith in that child, in that wonderful counselor and mighty God, will see a new world where there won't be pain, when there won't be tears, when there will be suffering, and where we will be with God forever. And that should be your ultimate hope. And I believe that in the midst of that, God wants you today to wait with hope. For what he can do in your life right now, but more importantly, for what he will ultimately do.